So imagine with me that it's Black Friday, okay? Which some of you know all too well. It's about five or so days from now. Some of you know it's like five days, four hours, and seven minutes. I'm concerned for you if you know that, by the way. That's scary that you would know that. You're in line on Black Friday at four in the morning outside of one of the big box stores. Now, some of you are wondering, why would anyone in their right mind be standing in line at four in the morning outside of a big box store on Black Friday? And there are deals, okay? It's the lure of the deal on the one hand, and then there's the idea that some people have confused shopping with a sport. Shopping is not a sport, okay? I, I've had to stretch to let rhythmic gymnastics in. I draw the line short of shopping. It's not a sport, okay? Don't, don't even try that. Um, but at any rate, it's 4 a.m., it's dark outside, and you're standing in line to, with pepper spray in your pocket just in case any of the quarter of a billion shoppers, most of whom are in line with you on Black Friday, try to take your TV, okay? You're in line for a TV, and you're standing there, four in the morning, it's dark, and a guy approaches you. You reach for your pepper spray because you think he's going to cut in line. He just wants to talk. And he says, uh, so what you doing? You say, well, I'm... I'm working out. This is my favorite sport. And uh, I'm going to get a TV. I'm going to get a great deal on a TV. And he says, that must be a heck of a TV and a heck of a deal to have you standing out here at 4 in the morning. And you say, oh, yeah, 60-inch flat screen. It's fantastic. He says, why aren't you getting a 90-inch? And have you considered 3D? Because they now have 90-inch flat-screen TVs, and you can get 3D. And you say, well, I'd love to, but I, I can't afford it. And he says, well, let me, let me tell you about something. He says, there's another line um, just around the corner where you can get stuff for free. And it's stuff that satisfies are you going to be satisfied with a 60-inch when you know there's a 90-inch out there? And, and you say, yeah, I'll be fine with it. But your enthusiasm starting to wane. And he says, well, look, there's stuff that can satisfy you in here, down deep. And it's free. It doesn't cost you anything except, except your place in line. How do you respond to that offer? I mean... You've been in line for four hours. It's a great deal on a great TV. How do you respond to that offer? Um, let me back it up a bit. <clears throat> back from Black Friday this year, let me back it up a bunch. Let's go all the way back 2,700 years ago. Okay. It's not Black Friday. It's black every day. Because you are living in Israel during a time of captivity. God, as a judgment upon your people for their sin, has sent you into captivity. And Babylon has carried you off. And, and you are far from home. 
You are living as a captive. It, it said that your people sit by the waters of Babylon and weep. And your captors mock you and the images of their gods surround you who, who apparently have defeated your God. One writer put it this way. He says, the people were strangers in a strange land, separated from their homeland by hundreds of miles of inhospitable wilderness. They felt alienated from their God, who they believed had turned his back on them. The glory of Jerusalem and its temple were but a faded memory that only brought them pain to think about it. These unfulfilled longings brought them to the edge of despair. So the lines that you're standing in are not lines for luxury items and stocking stuffers. You're in a line for food and water. And a man approaches you. And this is what he says in Isaiah 55. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. It's a stunning invitation to a suffering people. It's an invitation for the best of food and the finest wine. At no cost. At no cost. It's a passage rich in symbolism. John Piper interprets the drinks this way. He says, it's spiritual water for the refreshment of dry and dead souls. It's spiritual milk for the nourishment and strengthening of weak souls. It's spiritual wine for the exhilaration and joy of sad and disheartened souls. It's an invitation to satisfaction in here deep down. And in verse 1, it's interesting. It's for people who are thirsty and broke. Okay? Those are the people that are invited to come. People who are desperate and have no other resources. Come, says everyone who thirsts. Buy without money. Verse 2, we see that it's for people who are misguided and dissatisfied. They, they have resources, but they've spent them on things that don't satisfy. It's for people who have been lured into standing in the wrong line. That's who the invitation is for. What, what I want to make sure that you see today is that there really is a wrong line. A bunch of them actually. And this time of year, you're going to be bombarded with them. Here's, here's a case in point. I thought this one was a, was a, stereotypical, exa a stereotypical example. Um, maybe you've seen it. It's a Lexus commercial for the 2013 LSF Sport. Okay. If you watch the actual commercial on TV, it's this guy living the life and the reason that he's living the life is he's got 
the LSF sport. The tagline on their ads is this, someday your life will flash before your eyes. Make it worth watching. The idea is that buy this car, have a worthwhile life. You know, I want to make sure that you get it. That's marketing hype, okay? Buy the car, you don't get the life. You get the payments, okay? Owning this 2013 LSF Sport does nothing more to enrich your life than driving my 98 Ford Ranger, okay? Maybe just a little bit more than my 98 Ford Ranger, (laughs) but not much, okay? It's hype. It's worse than hype. It's a lie. This cannot satisfy. Not in here. Not deep down. It is what Isaiah calls that which is not bread. And to the extent that we live our life apart from the line that leads to satisfaction in God, if we stand in any other line, then these two verses, they describe us. We are either desperate or misguided. We are dissatisfied in here, deep down, no matter how good a deal we get. And every day, multiple times a day, we hear the voices of vendors selling us that which is not bread and does not satisfy. And the more we partake, the thirstier our souls get. Um, Time Magazine put it this way. You can think of this symbolically. In 1955... The largest soda McDonald's offered was seven ounces. That was a large soda. In about 2007, they came out with a thing. Maybe some of you remember it. It was called Hugo. And Hugo was a 42-ounce soda. 400 calories just from Hugo alone. Our thirsts are getting Bigger. Daniel Borstein in his book, The Image, makes this image, this observation about Americans. He says, We expect anything and everything. We expect the contradictory and the impossible. We expect compact cars, which are spacious, luxurious cars, which are economical. We expect to be rich and charitable, powerful and merciful, active and reflective, kind and competitive. We expect to eat and stay thin, to be constantly on the move and ever more neighborly, to go to the church of our choice and yet feel its guiding power over us, to revere God and to be God, he says. Never have people been more masters of their environment, yet never has a people felt more deceived and disappointed. Any line but the line that leads to satisfaction in God will not satisfy. Not in here. Not deep down. So Isaiah says, come to the waters and drink and be satisfied. What is the drink that slays soul thirst? Where can it be found? 
Turns out it's not what and it's not where, it's who. And he shows us that in the next verse. He's speaking for God, Isaiah is, and he says, incline your ear and come to me. God says, come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. The invitation is to come to me, God says, to stand in the line that looks for satisfaction in me. That's the place where souls come alive and everlasting love can be known. I love the way C.S. Lewis, the British author, said it. He said, a car is made to run on gasoline, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. We might say there is no other line that leads to satisfaction. Paul Tripp uses a different analogy. He asks it this way. He says, what is your one thing? What's the one thing that your heart craves? What's the one thing that you think would change your life? What's the one thing that you look for, look to for satisfaction, contentment, or peace? What's the one thing that you mourn having to live without? What's the one thing that fills your daydreams and commands your sleepy meditations? What is your one thing? He says, the spiritual reality for many of us is that the one thing is not the Lord. And the danger in that reality is this. Your one thing will control your heart, and whatever controls your heart will exercise inescapable influence over your words, choices, and actions. What is your one thing? What line are you standing in? as you seek satisfaction, deep down, in here. If it's anything other than God, even a 2013 Lexus LSF Sport, it will not satisfy. It will not make your life worthwhile. And in the last bit of that third verse, he talks about making with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. This covenant that God promises to make with all who come to him is described as the steadfast, sure love that God has for his great king David. God is promising to share that everlasting love that he has for David with anyone who will come to him for satisfaction. Anyone he will love everlastingly. He's offering more than water and wine, far more than Black Friday bargains. He is offering himself. And the Psalms are full of this language of satisfaction in God. Here's, here's two, for example. Psalm 90. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? 
And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh, my heart, they may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Which line are you standing in? Every year, our elders set an overarching priority for our congregation, and we say we want everyone who calls North Wake home to make a spiritual advance in this area. This year, it's been obedience. This is the year of a loving obedience to a loving God. And we have tried through the teaching of the book of Deuteronomy to learn to be a more obedient people. Well, next year, let me show you what the elders have decided our focus will be next year. And I'm going to give you the long, wordy one first, and then I'll give you a bumper sticker that you can remember. Okay? Here's the wordy one. It is to advance the congregation at North Wake in their experience of daily communion with Christ in such a way that they love God more. As evidenced in increased affections for God, desire to know Him, eagerness to share Him, and glad obedience to and worship of Him. Okay? It's wordy. You don't have to remember it. But it's rich, isn't it? it? It could be the year of satisfaction in God. It's not. The elders had a better idea. But it could be. Okay? To accomplish this, we're going to study the book of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, um, next year. And here's the little bumper sticker down at the bottom. Drawing near to the good and mighty king that we're going to see in the book of Matthew. We're going to try to through the practice of daily disciplines, daily practices, spiritual practices, our time in the Word, our time in prayer, our time alone in solitude, corporate practices, like learning how to better worship together, how to pray together, all these spiritual practices that are designed to draw us into communion with Christ, we'll be focusing on those next year as we walk through the Gospel of Matthew together. Um, In fact... um, We'll actually be starting that study in two weeks. We'll start in December, first Sunday in December, we'll start studying Matthew. So we're going to learn how to draw near to the good and mighty king. One of our elders who's the marketing guy, this is, this, he, he made it even more memorable. This is the year of drawing near, okay? So you can remember that. Somebody asks you what, what you're up to at Northwake, you can tell them that. So Isaiah's invitation is an invitation to come to the one who satisfies our soul. And it's an invitation before anybody else in this room, it's for you. It's it's for you. Isaiah is speaking to you. And he is saying, if you will come and seek satisfaction in God, you will find it. Like nowhere else, he is speaking to you. He's speaking to us as a church family. But more than that, it's more than that. From us, he says, it's to go to all peoples. Look at this next couple of verses. He says, behold, I made him. That's probably a reference to the Messiah, the coming Messiah to Jesus. I made him a witness to the peoples a leader and commander for the peoples, for all peoples. He's thinking about King David and King David as he prefigures Jesus, the great king. Um, Christ 
is a witness and a leader to all peoples. It says, um, Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for He has glorified you. Revelation shows us how it's going to play out. The elders are gathered around the throne of God in this heavenly scene, and it says they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you, Jesus, were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And when it talks in verse 5 about a nation that you did not know, you shall, um, shall come to you because the Lord your God um, has glorified you. You shall call a nation that you did not know, that you is the people of God. It's us that we are going to invite nations and peoples to come and we are going to be inviting. We are going to be attractive to them by the life that we live satisfied in God. Um, There is a satisfaction in God for all peoples through Jesus and they will see it in us. Not so much in our prosperity as in our generosity, not so much in our acquisition as in our satisfaction, our contentment in God that draws people. We will invite and we'll be inviting. That's why we send Paul and Megan to India, so that they can invite and be inviting in the midst of people who've never heard the story of a God who loves them so that he would send his son in the world to rescue them from the burden of their sin. It is, there is a satisfaction in God for all peoples, for all peoples. The invitation continues in verses 6 and 7. He says, Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him While he is near, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to them, to the Lord rather. Let them return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. The prophet is urging them and us to seek God. Um, Especially... The wicked are urged to seek God with the hope of finding him. And um, Alan Ross, in his writings on this, helps, us, helps me realize that we, we're best not to think about the wicked being somebody else. The wicked is us when we're standing in the wrong line. Whenever we change lines, whenever we lack faith and give in to fear or unbelief or, or search for satisfaction somewhere else, it's us. It's us that are being called to seek the Lord. There is a sense of urgency to this. It's a temporary window of opportunity that we don't know when it will close. It is while he is near, when he may be found. It should give us great pause when we think of putting this off, that when we get our things in order, then we'll seek God. Once I finish school and I'm not having to work the extra job, I'll have more time, then I'll seek God. 
after I buy the toy, the shiny fast one, then I'll seek God because then I'll have both. That's a very dangerous way to think. To put on hold real satisfaction for the toys of Black Friday. Isaiah urges us, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. It's a temporary window of opportunity, the opportunity of a lifetime. The implication is there will be a time when he cannot be found, when he is not near, when the window closes. I don't know what Isaiah has in mind about how the window closes. I don't know if he's thinking about some great cosmological event that ends our world and closes the window, or if he's thinking personally about the end of life for each one of us that closes the window. Um, But... Either way, we simply don't know how long the window will stay open, and we neglect it at our own peril. Seek the Lord, he says. Seek your satisfaction in Him. And then he tells us how to do it. Um, He says in verse 6, seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him. That calling upon the Lord is a way to seek Him. And calling upon the Lord... excuse me, is just prayer. Praying is a manner of seeking, especially in our time of need. Like Psalm 50 says, God says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. To call on God when we are in trouble is to place our hope in Him intentionally by prayer. And so this coming year, we're going to learn how to pray how to call upon the Lord in prayer more faithfully than we ever have before. We want to become a church who truly prays, who calls upon the Lord, so that this indictment that I'm about to read to you will not stick to us as badly as it does now. One writer says this, he says, How many times have we faced decisions and made them with a quick reckoning of our resources but we did not seek the Lord's counsel at all. Seeking the Lord means pausing before a decision and looking expectantly to God in your heart and waiting to see how He might lead. And that's why I say we need to pray about our capital campaign. It's a great need. We don't just look at our checkbooks, but we pray and look at our checkbooks because we need to call upon the Lord. We need to seek Him and His help. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And then he says, another part of that seeking is let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. The other side of seeking, if calling is one side, forsaking is the other, forsaking our ways and our thoughts, our sin. John Piper helped me connect these two things when he wrote, if you call out to God, oh God, I need you, help me. 
one of the very first things that will happen in answer to that prayer is that God will awaken in your conscience um, something in your life that needs to be forsaken. If God answers your call in that way and you refuse to forsake what your conscience condemns, then you cease to seek God and your words become empty. You can't seek God where he cannot be found in sin. And then he says very insightfully, he says, it would be like a man who leaves his wife, moves into his own apartment, has a regular sexual affair alongside his marriage, and then gets on the phone and calls his wife and seeks his wife. And she says, have you forsaken this woman? And he says, no, I can't. She says, then, then she will rightly say, then you are not seeking me. Your call is empty. You will seek me and find me as your wife when you forsake her and all others for me alone, just as you vowed. Seeking the Lord means forsaking the ways and the thoughts that are displeasing and dishonoring to him. You cannot seek him where he can't be found in sin. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, you remember when your mom used to say, don't eat candy before meals? Why did she say that? Because she knew it would ruin your next meal. The trouble with eating candy is that it gives you a sugar buzz, and then you don't feel hungry. Candy masks the fact that your body needs protein and vitamins. The sugar buzz from candy masks your hunger for the real nutrients that you don't have. He says things like sex and power and money and success, favorable circumstances, act like spiritual sugar. Christians who have these spiritual, spiritual candies may say, sure, I believe in God, and I know I'm going to heaven, but they're actually basing their day-to-day -day joy on favorable circumstances. When the circumstances change, it drives us to God, because when the sugar disappears, when the candy gets taken away, we're forced to pursue the feast that our souls really crave. We'll hunger for the spiritual nutrients we really need. Listen to this translation of verse 2 of Isaiah 55 from the Message Bible. It's actually verse 2. And it says, Come, buy your drinks, buy wine and milk, buy without money, everything's free. Why do you spend your money on junk food, your hard-earned cash on cotton candy? Okay? I'm not sure what the Hebrew word is for cotton candy. But it helps you get the idea, right? Um, to seek him, we must forsake the junk food and the cotton candy. To seek him, we must forsake the other woman. We must return to him, the only one who can satisfy us truly in here, down deep. To call upon him and to forsake our own wicked thoughts and ways. That's what Isaiah means when he says, seek him now. Seek him now. While you hear the great invitation, seek him now. And then, and I'll walk through this quickly. He shows us the beauty of all of this. What meets us when we seek the Lord. Um, the last part of verse 7 says, when you return to the Lord, you find compassion and abundant pardon. You find, according to verses 8 and 9, 
that God's thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways God's ways. Um, for as high as the, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than your ways, and God's thoughts than your thoughts. When you seek Him, you find how much superior His ways are to any plan you could ever have. And you will find out how sure His promise of satisfaction is. In verse 10 and 11, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You know, back in verse 2, it says, Why spend your money on that which is not bread? And here he says, My word brings you bread to the eater. It will satisfy you with certainty. And then ultimately, he shows us what it will be like in verse 12 and 13. You'll go out in joy. You'll be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This chapter, this verses. They look into the future, that last great act. You remember the story, how it unfolds? There was creation, and then there was the fall, and then the rest of the Old Testament is getting us ready for the king, and then the king came in this gospel, and then the gospel is being proclaimed throughout the earth. That's the, that's the era we live in. But one day, the last act is going to happen, and the king returns, and when he returns, um, there will be joy, not just any joy, Cresswellian joy, okay? <laughs> Dancing and shouting and singing at the top of your lungs, joy. And it says there'll be peace, but it's not just any peace, the word that lies behind that is the word shalom. You've probably heard it, shalom. Cornelius Plantinga says, we call shalom peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal, flourishing, um, wholeness, and delight. A rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied. It's a joyful wonder as its creator and savior open doors. Shalom, in other words, he says, is the way things ought to be. It's satisfaction. This is what awaits us ultimately and supremely and certainly when the king returns. Now this offer, this offer for you, is 2,700 years old. And God has brought it to light today for you so that you would seek your satisfaction in the line that leads 
to him and to him alone. Let me encourage you. We're going to explore this theme throughout the next year of seeking and knowing God better and better and finding our joy, our satisfaction in him, drawing near to the good and mighty king. But today, as we close our time together, I want to encourage you to consider the invitation that Isaiah is bringing to you. How do you respond to an invitation like that? You say yes. You say yes without question. And I I want to use these closing two songs to be our yes. And as you worship the God who satisfies us, it's a chance for you to change lines. You know, maybe you've been dabbling in another line. Maybe you've been all your life in another line. Let's let these songs be our chance to say yes to God and to seek our satisfaction in Him. Would you stand with me? Let me read Scripture over us as a prayer, and we'll worship. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good And delight yourselves in rich food. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. That he may have compassion on him. And to our God. 